everyone. Welcome to the Cultivate Podcast at the Grove Church. I'm Charlie Lofton, the lead pastor there, and thank you so much for joining us. And you're now kind of in week two of a series that we're doing on really what it means to be a godly man. And last week, we introduced the idea of the warrior poet. It's a quote from the movie Braveheart. If you didn't catch that out, I encourage you to pause this, go back an episode, and listen to that as we kind of talked about what it means to kind of be a man of courage and strength, but at the same time to be a man who is both gentle and tender. And so for this episode, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to give you the audio from a talk that an elder at our church named Roger Harris gave at our men's retreat. And it is essentially him just kind of sharing a little bit from his life and just kind of the journey that he has been on as he's trying to figure out really what does it mean to be a godly man? How has he in his life figured out how to to balance those two ideas and how to be the kind of man that God's called him to be. So he, you know, I'm 51, you know, he's, he's an older guy, probably certainly old enough to be my dad and just has incredible life wisdom. And so when he talks, I'm telling you, if, if you've ever been in the room with him, when he talks, man, the whole room goes silent because the amount of just incredible credibility and experience that he has and just what a godly man he is. So I just encourage you, uh, to listen to some credible things that Roger Harris has to share with us. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I hope that last night in your groups that uh, your conversation was like it was in our group. I was really encouraged by the openness that we had and just uh, what I, what I, detected was a real desire to to do it better to figure out this man thing and and uh, to be on a path of uh, doing it right and I hope we all come come away from this weekend better prepared or at least have a little bit better direction in, into uh, into into what it means much like Charlie said and thinking about this and preparing for it I thought the best thing that I could do would be to share with you my life and my journey as as a Christ follower uh, and a good part of my life before that, 73 today. So 30 years of that was away from Christ, far away from him, not knowing anything about him and all of the things that go along with that. And then 40 years of peeling off those layers, allowing him to speak into my life and and peel those off and clean it up and take all of those rough all of the rough edges off uh that and 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 that's still a, a process. So I'm gonna share some of that with you today and hope hopefully it'll make it'll make sense. Uh I'd like to start by telling you a story about Marlboro Man. Back in the late forties, early fifties, Reader's Digest did a series of articles on this new science research that was uh, detailing the harmful effects of tobacco and, in particular, cigarette smoke. And obviously, cigarette manufacturers saying, whoa, you know, our, our livelihood's going down the tubes. We needed to come up with a way to combat this. So their initial deal was to use very complex scientific terms to try to kind of muddy the waters and explain it away. Wasn't working real well. So uh, then they come on this thing of, well, we can present it, we can, we can present that filtered cigarettes are safe. 
maybe not totally safe, but it's much safer than that. And then let's push that so that we can still, you know, sell cigarettes. The problem with that in their market research was that when they asked men about it, they said, well, yeah, I would, I would smoke a filtered cigarette, except that's a, that's a woman's thing. That's feminine. The reason for that is that Philip Morris started manufacturing Marlboros in 1924. And for all of that time, they had marketed it toward women. Their tagline was, as mild as may. So you had all of those years, all of those years and all those images that they had to overcome. So they contracted the, an ad agency out of, out of Chicago, presented them with it and said, we want you to come up with a campaign so that we can overcome this. So they looked into it, and what they came up with is that what, what we do, we'll go do a campaign, and we're going to do images and, and uh, advertising and everything else showing men exceedingly masculine men smoking filtered cigarettes to kind of turn this tide. So they're, so they're, initially it was going to be sea captains, construction workers, weightlifters, you know, manly men, a series of those ads. But the first one that they did was a cowboy because the leader of this agency had seen a Life magazine cover photo of this real-life Texan cowboy, and he thought, man, this is where we need to start because that's the look. That's what we're going for. It was so successful that they just ditched the rest of it. It's like we're going to run with this cowboy thing because it's working. It worked so well that in 1955, there was $2 billion worth of sales of Marlboro cigarettes. Two years later, it was $20 billion. I say all of that to say... I grew up in a family in the South, in a blue-collar mill town, the youngest of six kids. Everybody in my family except my mom smoked Marlboro cigarettes. And by the time I was a young teenager, I did too. And I think part of, in this journey that we're on and part of what we're talking about, we talked a little bit about it last night, is these images that especially in our formative years, and even, even as adults, but especially in our formative years that affect us in ways that are more powerful than we could ever imagine. Most of the men that, that, that I knew growing up, they smoked Marlboros. I mean, it was that, 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 camp, that one campaign was that powerful that it affected that many people, affected culture that much, and people bought into it. My growing up, my family, my dad was much like what Charlie just described. That's my memories of it. There, there, was, there was that anger, and it was, uh, there was a lot. It, it, he, was, he was the king of his castle. There, there were no arguments. If, there were, if, there were, if, there, if you attempted an argument, it didn't turn out well. So, so, so those were the images. It was those, the manly men, the masculine, the, you know, the, they're really tough and in control but stoic. Not, not, not a lot of hugging, or if any, not, no crying. So that's what I grew up with. I mean, the icons of that time, you know, John Wayne and Steve McQueen and Sean Connery and 007 and Elvis, I, you know. But grew up, grew up in that, had a lot to do with my images, the, the, the image that I had of, of what a real man was. Graduated Enlisted in the Air Force because that was during the Vietnam War era. 
served my time in the military, got married, started the family, moved my family from South Carolina to Oklahoma. A couple of years after moving there, we started attending church and, and became, a, became a Christ follower. And, and at, at that point, the, the layers that I spoke of earlier, you know, started, started peeling off, uh, started growing and maturing and losing uh, some of the selfishness that, that was just a, a main part of me, the immaturity. A couple, of years, a couple of years into that walk, I was employed fertilizer manufacturing facility, the largest in, in North America. And... Uh, one Sunday morning at the end of a night shift in June, there was a loud noise. There was a concussion, like the building shook in the control room that we were in. And uh, long story short, what had happened was uh, on the loading dock where they were filling a rail car with anhydrous ammonia, it ruptured, blew the rail car into three different pieces and blew them probably from here to over there to the burn pit. And uh, lost two coworkers, and my world changed. I had I had been growing, I had been doing good, but my whole worldview changed in that moment. And and then the days and the the weeks afterwards, I looked at life completely in a completely different way. There was a it it took on a seriousness that I had never had before at any time in my life especially in terms of my responsibility as a Christian and uh, who, who I was supposed to be and, and the shortness of life and just all, all of that that was wrapped up in it. It, it, it really, really changed me and, and changed me in a way that I became really serious about this Christian walk thing and about what that really means and what I'm supposed to do with it and how, am I, how I'm supposed to approach it. So I really, it, it, it really enabled me and, and, and drove me into digging, starting to really dig into what does this mean, studying the Bible, uh, being disciples. And, and, and that's, that's when my growth really, really started. And over the years, and you, you can imagine, there's been a lot of experiences and, and, and events and podcasts and books and everything else that have uh, that God's used to, to affect my life and and uh, to, to help me to grow I'd like to share with you today three of those and, and looking back over there's 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 been any number of books that I could recommend uh, there's three that that I want to talk to you about that have really had a probably the greatest impact overall in terms of what we're talking about this weekend in terms of who am I in, in terms of what is a real man, what, what does that look like? Early on in that journey, one of the things that I come across was uh, a friend of mine recommended a book. It's called Man in the Mirror. It's Man in the Mirror, the 24 problems men face. So, I mean, immediately you know he's, he's probably, he's on to something here because we got a lot of issues. But one of the, the, the one of the main premises of the book is that when a man looks in the mirror and he doesn't see what he likes, he needs a good friend to stand by him. And you can imagine, I don't know how many chapters there are, but you know there's probably at least 24. I can't remember 
dealing with dealing with all of those problems and and it just covers everything i mean finances marriage parenting you know it's it's just really a great way it was voted it was voted one of the top 100 christian books of the last 100 years two of the things that really i grabbed onto uh, early on that really changed my life was he really talks about the examined life. One of the, a lot of the problems that we face is that we go through life. It's an unexamined life. We do not take time to assess who am I, where am I, what am I doing, how am I doing, and you know, measuring that out to really be honest. We look look at ourselves and be honest with ourselves. Who who am I? How am I doing? And the other thing is is like on that the original premise is that the accountability part. We can look in the mirror and we can tell ourselves, this is what I see. And we, pr- we, probably, we probably lie to ourselves more than, than anybody else lies to us or we lie to anybody else. I mean, we believe us. Uh, our self-talk is what gets us in more trouble than anything else, I think. But that accountability part, to have friends, mentors in your life, that you've given permission to speak into your life and also to, you know, to, to glean stuff from, to, to, to grow and just to talk about things. It's part of that self-examination that you bounce it off good people who are going in the same direction you are. And it really, it really helped me a lot. Another one, and a lot of people joke about this, uh, rightly so, because it, you know, like anything else, we, we tend to take things and run too far with it. But Another book is that The Road Back to You, Enneagram book. I know, I, I figure most of you know what that is. Uh, you probably know what your number is and everything else. I'm a five. One of the, th- one of the, 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 the best quotes out of that book for me that, that puts it in perspective is, is that it does not put you in a box. It's a personality test. But the book and, and the personality test does not put you in a box. It helps you out of the box that you're already in. And I think that understanding is a game changer, or at least it was for me. Uh, and and it, again, you start peeling off those layers and start looking deeply into. The, one, the, the, the thing that I like about it that was most meaningful for me out of, out of the whole book, and there was a lot that really, really helped me, because it helped me to identify some things that had always been confusing in my life, that it goes beyond the typical personality testing in that it shows you, it, it explains to you what is healthy. Okay, this is, this is your personality, but this is when you're unhealthy, this is how it shows up. When you're healthy, this is how it shows up. And for me, that was a game changer to be able to recognize those areas and to know uh, and that self-examination process and to recognize those behaviors. And it's like, okay, I'm, I'm off. I'm off the path here. I'm, I, I got to get back on the path. I am going in the wrong direction. And the other one, and that's most recently during COVID, gentle and lowly. The guy took, he goes through the process of uh, a lot of it is maybe one verse or maybe three or four words out of a verse in the Bible. And, he, and what the whole premise of the book is, is that who is Christ? Who is he? What are his characteristics? And it was really important to me because when I came across it, I thought I, I really need to read that because 
at the heart of it, if I'm a Christ follower, I'm called to be like him as much as I, that's, that's the measuring mark. The more I know about him, the more I understand who Christ is and his characteristics and how he lived his life, then the better prepared I am. I have, I have a mark. I have a, a measuring point. I have an image in front of me that is clearly truthful and meaningful and it's not and it and it takes away all of those iconic images all of those advertising images that that we have that that is so powerful in our lives that that shape us and mold us the the gentle and lowly where that comes from and that's the, that was the premise of his book he takes it from from Matthew 11 and Matthew 11, in the opening uh, verses, it says, After Jesus finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John heard in in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? So he goes and, and they ask Christ John's question. So he goes that chapter, he spends that chapter answering that question and, and, and talking about that and other thing. And toward the end of the chapter, an answer to who are you? Are you the Christ? But really, who are you? His answer was, all things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal to him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. His self-description, I am gentle and lowly. Now, when you hear Jesus Christ, when you think about, well, who was he or what's his characteristic? I don't know what your images are, and they're you know, they're all over. Charlie spoke to that a little bit last night in terms of, you know, all, all of the, well, you know, he turned the tables over and, you know, all, all, all of the different images that people latch onto uh, and, and stick with because I think, you know, it's that part that they want to be, you know, to, to explain or to justify their behavior that may, may or may not be right. But, but in this, he is describing himself and in this in, in in our quest to to find authentic manhood and 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 to determine what does what does it really mean who am i supposed to be how am i supposed to act uh I, and, and I, it's it's found in that and and in the book in the different chapters he talks about Christ as advocate as intercessor uh his compassion how he is drawn to the sinner the, it, it is gentle and lowly, the life of Christ for the sinner and sufferer, and, uh, and how powerful that is. You know, we think he's, he's described as mighty God. You know, on the one hand, he's mighty God, but here he's saying, I'm gentle and lowly. And, and I don't know what you think of when you think of gentle or, you know, how that, how that works in, in what we're talking about in terms of who we're supposed to be or how we're supposed to act. But uh, for me, it was, uh, again, it was a game changer. It really gave me great insight. And uh, 
help me to center in on some changes that I need to make and who I, uh, who I wanted to become. So, so taking all of that in consideration for my life, going back to the, the, the man in the mirror. So, so, so from the beginning, from that rail car explosion up to now, 40 years, there has been probably, going back over, there's probably been about a two, maybe two and a half year period. And there were a number of reasons for that, but ex- with the exception of that, there has been one of the constants in my life has been I've been part of a discipleship group. I've been part of a small group and a, and a friendship mentoring relationship simultaneously almost all of those years. And there was about a two, two and a half year period where that wasn't in place. And those were the hardest, toughest years of my life, of, of those 40 years. And looking back on it, at the time, I did, not, I did not realize that. It was a tough time, but it was made even tougher and traumatic because I, for a number of reasons, I did not have those things in place. I did not have those people to open up to and say, you know, help me here. I was not digging into the discipleship part and growing that way. As, as I have been all of those other times. And I, I, and I don't, and I, obviously I don't stand in front of you saying, I've arrived, I've got the answers. I, I, it's more like what, you know, what Paul said, I have not attain, obtained it yet, but I press on to obtain all of that that Christ has took hold of me for. And, and I think at the heart of it in this manhood bill, I've, that's just a critical part of it, is that have we reached a point in our life where we are serious about, can you look in the mirror and say, I am serious about finding out what this manhood thing is all about, what it really means to be a Christ follower, to be the best that I can be in Him. Because if, if we don't get there, then the other things don't fall into place. The Enneagram thing, I'm a five. And going through that, it helped me. It explained a lot of things in my life that, that I had struggled with. One of those things, following that rail car explosion, I was working probably from time to time, if you don't know anything about it, from time to time, you, uh, you may see in a movie or a television show or whatever, and they'll show like a refinery. That's what, that's what, what the facility is most like, that image. And you'll see them like they'll be inside in the control room, and you see all of these Control, control board would, you know, all of that, you know, control panels and everything else. It's set up the same way. There's outside in the facility, it's divided up into four parts. And you got, then you got a person inside that's looking over the entire thing as far as the control are, are concerned. And uh, every two hours, you know, it's divided up. You've got four people outside. They go through their, they go through, check all the equipment and the pressures and the temperatures and all that. Well, that morning uh, that that explosion happened, I was inside. I was working the board. And soon after that and, and, and processing that everything that happened, I realized that in that moment, if it had been, if, if that ammonia cloud had gotten a little bit worse, if it had gotten to the control room, gotten to us, or if the plant had started shutting down, 
I don't, I'm a five. I process. I don't make quick decisions. There are, there are a lot of you, because of your personality and the, and, and the way you're in a core, it's easy for you. That's what you do. You know I mean, something, something pops up, you make quick decisions, you can process things quickly. I process slowly. One of the things that I realized coming out of that was that this, if, if, if something bad happens, if we have an equipment failure or whatever, it is critical in, in that situation that you make the right decision in a hurry. You, you either make the right moves or you make the wrong moves. You make the wrong moves, and it's going south in a hurry, and there's, you just put everybody in that plan in danger. And that started working on me because I knew, I knew me. I knew that I was not reacting the way that I knew it. I knew the process. I had tested for it. That was the reason why. And I came to the, the it, was, it, it was unhealthy. It was causing uh, so much stress in my life that I was sick more than I was healthy. And I knew I had to do something about it, but to do something about it meant that I had to go to management and say, I, I'm not cut out for this. I, I, I can't do this, which would mean one of, one of a couple of things. And one, they're saying, well, if you can't do it, okay, see you. Or at the very least, it would be, well, if you can't do that, then we can't pay you for that. So you're going to have to take a sizable pay cut. So prayed about it a lot. Talked to my wife about it a lot as far as the, you know, the financial ramifications and everything else. And finally, it was like, I've, I've got to do this. I mean, I, it's killing me. So uh, went to management, talked to them about it. And through the grace of God, they said, we, we get that. We, we, appreciate, we appreciate your truthfulness. We'll just... You don't have to do that anymore. We'll create a new position. We'll call it a rover. Wherever, wherever there's an opening or somebody's on vacation or whatever, then you know all of the systems, then you'll just fill into that place, and you, you can stay at the same pay. I, but, but going f- forward from that, I carried guilt because I did not understand why all of these other people that I worked with— why can they? Why can't I do this? I mean, and, and it, internally, I internalize it as a weakness. You can't do that because you're weak. You just can't handle this. Well, you know, 20 years later, I read, I read this enneagram. I go through this testing and this explanation of what healthy is and unhealthy, and who you are and and what that means. And it's like, well, if I would, if I had known this. Then it would have explained to me very, very clearly why I was having, having a, an issue with the, you know, not being able to quickly do those kind of things. I cannot tell you how freeing that was 20 years later to know it was the right decision for the right reasons. And, and there was no reason to carry any guilt with it because it was right. It was good. I did the right thing. And, and I think uh, it's part of that, again, it's part of that self-examination bill that you go through to, to really dig deep into this is who I am. And this is how it affects the way I act and, and the things that I do. It's not a cure-all. It's not a fix-it. It's still to be used in what does Christ desire of me? Who does he want me to be? 
but it's all part of that picture. And then and the, the gentle and lowly, and, then, and, it's, and the explanation of that in terms of authentic manhood and who we're supposed to be, the gentle and lowly, Christ was gentle. You see all of these descriptions of him of being the mighty warrior and, and his strength. He was all, he's all powerful, but he was always in control. And that's the picture for me is that, yeah, I am a man. Because I am a man, there's aspects of my life that it's, I, I do have strength. I do have power. I do need to step in with authority. I do, there's, I, there's times that I do need to be aggressive. But at the same time, in all of those, I can do it with a gentleness. I can do it in control so that it's not overbearing. It's not too far over the edge. It's workable. And then gentle and humble of heart, he was, Christ was always, always seeking the Father's will, always in his will, always looking for the, the direction that the Father sent him. Charlie spoke a little bit last night about David and that image that's presented and everything. And, you know, in the New Testament, oh, well, even beyond that. But you look at Moses and Peter and Paul, and you can look at those three characters at their life before Christ, before they had a crisis experience and their lives changed. And, and, and the people that they were after, they really understood who Christ was, how much he loved them, and what his call was on their life. Everything changed. Everything changed. They behaved differently. They were completely different. And in this, and I, I think finally, in Matthew 11, where he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. When you look at Christ, the ultimate example of who we're supposed to be, the question that I'm from this, the question that I'm asking myself is, in, in whatever situation, am I approachable uh, as a father, as a grandfather, as a, as, a, as a husband, as a friend to you? Am I approachable in, in strength and in gentleness, or however you want to describe it? Because I can be all of those things, but if I'm not approachable, we never get a chance to get to the bottom of what our issue is. We never get a chance to, to take care of it, talk about it, deal with it. So, so in, 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 in terms of, well, coming up with a, with a term that this warrior poet, we talked about it a little bit last night. For me, it's like, how do I define warrior? How do I define poet? What images are in my mind and in my psyche is that, you know, what does that mean for me? How do I define it? And, and, and approachable is something that re- I can relate to that is meaningful to me. And the other is, am I available? Am I available to Christ? Am I available to you as friends, to the people in my life that, that God sent in, in, in my path? If I'm available, if I buy into that and if I'm available, it means that there are going to be times that I'm going to have to be uncomfortable. I've, I've been really fortunate to be in some really good churches uh, over the years. But looking back on it, and almost every one of those, that, that they could have been 
so those churches could have been accomplished so much more, uh, reached so many more people, except that I can identify to you in each of those situations that there was leadership, men, men in leadership in the church who did good things and who were leading, but they were not willing to be uncomfortable. And at that point, the growth and the vitality of that church stopped there. They were doing good, but it could have been so much more. And I think it's a, it's a picture for me in my own life. Am I willing to be uncomfortable? Because if, because if I'm not willing to be uncomfortable in, 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 my, in, all, all, in all of my relationships, then I'm not available. And if I'm not available, Christ can't use me, and I'm not going to grow. So I was watching a Netflix movie not too long ago, and there was a, they were, this couple was talking about their past and who they were now and they, the different changes in their life and everything. And one of the terms they used, one of them looked at that and said, you carry life with you. You carry life with you. All of those, all of those things that you carry with you from your childhood, whether it was good or bad, you had a good dad or a not so good dad, all of those iconic images that you that were so powerful in your formative years, all of those relationships that you had that affected who you were, and we carry that with us. We carry that with us. I'm all the time I'm reminded of, you know, the the, the th- things from my childhood, things that my Things that my dad did or said that that I can remember saying, I'm never, I'll, I'm I'm not going to do that. I'm never going to be that way. And it's like, uh, there it is, there it is. I have to deal with it. It's that self-realization and self-examination. So that's my story. I hope it's helpful. I, um, in in practical ways, the last thing that I'll leave with you is. Over the last two sermon series, if, if, you've, if you've been attentive, you have heard the heart and soul of Charlie and Mark and how much what they have talked about in those two sermon series means to them, how important it is to them, how critical. I think we're at a critical stage in our lives and in our, in our church. But if nothing else, if you go back and go through those two sermon series, number one, the this is, who, this is who we are as the Grove. These are, you know, we protect, we connect, we serve, all of those. And then that known series, look at those two sermon series in terms of what does it mean to be a man? I think it'll be more powerful than you could ever imagine. And it'll give you some handles that you didn't think that you had. Let's pray. God, I thank you for today. Thank you for... Um, your mercy and your grace, just the opportunity to, to be together with these uh, incredible men. Um, thank you for what they mean to, to me in my life and uh, how they've helped me, uh, how you've used them to grow me. Uh, I pray that uh, in this time that we have together uh, today, that we will have rich uh, conversations about you and about uh, your desire for us as men. Um, help us, help us to determine in our hearts and in our minds that we're going to do whatever it is necessary to be the men that you call us to be. 
Uh, bless us with your presence and your wisdom and discernment. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thank you so much for listening to that. I just, I love Roger. Every time he speaks, uh, it's just powerful to hear the stories from his life and how God is using him. So hope you enjoyed it as much as, as I did. And again, uh, we would love, if you're, if you're new to the Grove Church, you've just kind of found this from one way, we would love to connect with you. You can go to thegrovechurch.org slash connect and, and find out more about our church, about our service times. And we'd love to see you on a Sunday. Either way, you can just kind of fill out a little form there. Let us know you've been listening. And if you're outside the area, you can still connect with us. We'd love to know that you were here and you can catch our streaming um, every Sunday morning. And again, we are so thankful that you've joined us and hope you will come back for the, for the next and last episode in this series. And again, thank you so much for listening. 